Good morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Baseball season's so nice because every day I come on and the ad read that plays or, or the stinger that plays is that it's game day. And it's game day almost every single day. 30 times in 31 days for the Blue Jays. They got an off day Monday, though, which is, uh, you know, throws Jays Talk Plus into a whole bunch of disarray. Two days to talk about whatever happened on the weekend. Hopefully it's a good one. The Jays are playing some good baseball right now. They've won eight of their last 11. And while Alec Manoa was absolutely the topic of yesterday still, the on-field product was able to turn the page a little bit. 5-1 victory. And who better? than Kevin Gosman in a spot where the Jays really could have used a pick-me-up. They could have used a pick-me-up emotionally after Alec Manoa was optioned to the Florida Complex League before the game. They could have used a pick-me-up in terms of saving the bullpen a day after they were asked to cover eight and two-thirds innings. They certainly could have used a pick-me-up in the win column after dropping a game in the series opener to a Houston Astros team that they will likely be competing with for one of the American League wildcard spots. Now, is that actually going to be the case? We found out yesterday Jacob deGrom is going to undergo Tommy John surgery. There were some indicators that the Texas Rangers maybe don't have the run prevention side of things shored up enough to to hang on to the AL West over the long term. But right now they're they're in the lead and they're the favorites and they're arguably the best offense in baseball. So either way, that a game against the Astros is a big one. So a lot of different reasons you would want Kevin Gosman to be on the hill yesterday and and help you settle things and right the ship. Boy, did he. Uh, He gave up a home run immediately. Like second pitch of the game, Mauricio Dubon takes him yard. From there, Kevin Gosman goes seven innings, only allows three more hits, does not walk a batter, and strikes out 13. The statistical superlatives we use for Gosman, we're almost running out of them. Every single time he starts now, it feels like there is some new thing he's checking off. Well, it's a career high in this for Kevin Gosman, whether that's strikeouts, whether that's swing and miss, whether that's specifically with the fastball, specifically with the splitter. It's a new MLB high in the stack cast era for the most the splitter has done this. Um, it is a new Blue Jays franchise record in this many strikeouts through this many games. We can go through them all, by the way, but it is pretty remarkable that Kevin Gosman continues to raise the bar at a time when he was already... In the Cy Young conversation, he was already in the conversation as one of the most dominant and effective pitchers in baseball. And almost every time out, it seems like he's pushing it just a little higher. So those 13 strikeouts did tie a career high for him. He now owns two of the six 13 strikeout games around baseball this year. Nobody else has multiples. Uh, There are only six in total and two belong to Gosman. He's also struck out 11 plus a league high five times. He struck out 10 plus a league high six times. However you want to chop up the strikeouts. Kevin Gosman is leading the way in big strikeout games. That 13 strikeout to zero walk specifically uh, is also only the third time that that's happened in baseball this year. It only happened 10 times in baseball all of last year. Pretty remarkable to have that level of precision. And keep in mind, Kevin Gosman's a guy who works out of the zone a lot. He's enticing guys to swing and miss at pitches 
that are below the zone that if you get two strikes on you, certainly you have a good idea. They're not going to catch the zone. This is a guy with a 94th percentile chase rate in terms of getting guys to swing at pitches that are outside of the zone. So to go 13 strikeouts and zero walks, even though yes, Gosman is a low walk guy in general uh, to be able to go 13 to zero when you do operate outside of the zone a lot is pretty remarkable. Um, Robbie Ray, who is probably the post holiday high watermark for the best season a Jays pitcher has had struck out 97 batters through his first 13 starts in his Cy Young season. Kevin Gosman has struck out 113 through his first 13 starts. So that's an extra 16 K that is a franchise record um, pretty tidily. And yesterday the way Gosman got it done was, you know, we hear about the splitter, the splitter, the splitter. It's one of the most effective pitches in all of baseball. It is a tremendous swing and miss pitch. It's constantly among the leaders in whiff percentage and total whiffs in games and things like that. His fastball from a movement profile isn't elite. It can touch elite velocity. He can get it up around 97 at times, um, but he's also varied his velocity this year, and it's sometimes been as low as 92 or 93. It's coming in averaging a little over 94 on the year. That's not a, a gangbusters fastball, but what we've started to learn over the years is that while a splitter is a difficult pitch for a guy to master, it is, if you can do it, it's one of the, if not the best pitch short of a change, short of an elite changeup. In terms of making your fastball play up because they do look so similar for so long on their path to the plate. And the result of that is that yesterday, in addition to getting 13 swing and misses on the splitter, Kevin Gossman also got 14 called strikes with his fastball. Think about that. These guys are going up there very likely sitting fastball because the splitter is so difficult to put good contact on. And yeah, Gossman mixes in the slider as well, but primarily he's a fastball splitter guy. You're going up there with a good sense of, Hey, I got to find a fastball to attack. And his splitter is so deadly and they look so similar on their path to the plate that 14 times guys looked at fastballs for a strike. That is tied for the second most in all of baseball this year. Like the most times batters have just stared at a fastball over the plate in a single outing. On top of which, uh, sorry, that was tied for the second highest for Gosman. Uh, it is among the league leaders on the season as well. Spencer Strider has so, some nasty outings when we dive into this stuff. So this was the third best game of Gosman's season from getting swing and miss with the splitter and the second best game of Gosman's season with getting called strikes with the fastball. It sounds ridiculous to continue to push the bar higher and higher for Kevin Gosman. But I don't know that we've seen a, a better Kevin Gosman start than that in terms of how well the fastball and splitter played off of each other. And boy, what a way to help us turn the page from what was uh, an emotional and kind of depressing pregame with the news that Alec Manoa would get optioned to the Florida Complex League. Let's talk about all of that with Julia Kreutz of MLB.com of Jay's Talk here on Sports. That Julia, how are you? I'm doing all right, Blake. Uh, very, very happy to to be talking to you again. Yes, me too. It's it's. Uh, I know you. You've got vacation stuff. You're going on trips. You're going to cool <laughs> concerts. You're you're a tough person to get a hold of these days. <laughs> it's been a it's been an interesting year for sure. I will say right off the bat here, if you hear any whining, it's not me. It's the dog. For some reason, she's very very needy this morning. So. Uh -oh. uh, Apologize in advance. <laughs> who, who among us at 10 in the morning sitting around the house and, and, you know, probably not a good day for a dog walk given the air quality here in Toronto. It's uh, <laughs> you can't blame someone for, for being needy 
I, I think. I, take it as a compliment, <laughs> Julia. Um, I agree. So, uh, you know, emotional support. Maybe maybe we get a dog down in Dunedin for Alec Manoa as well. <laughs> uh, a bit of a heavy day yesterday. Um, what, I mean, before we get into the specifics of, of what the plan is for Manoa and what the path might back might be, what has this situation done to kind of, I mean, obviously the team is still performing pretty well and eight and three over their last 11, but there is an emotional toll in that clubhouse, I think, to what's been going on with Alec Manoa. How have you felt that out, you know, being around and just being an empath yourself uh, over these last couple of weeks? For sure. It's, uh, it's, it's been interesting to sort of witness and to, to hear other players talk about it as well. I would even point to Manoa's uh, reaction or Manoa's statement after, after the game um, when he couldn't make it out of the first inning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he said something along the lines of, you know, something, someone asked, what has your teammates' reaction been? And he said something along the lines of, they support me and they want to make sure that, they know, that I know that they love me. And so you can see that there is a lot of emotion going on right now. And that in the moment can be, you know, a, a bad thing. But I, I do think that there's, there's a positive to be taken out of this. As Manoa goes down to Florida, works in the pitch lab, tries to figure out what's going on. It, it was a weird offseason for him. He didn't pitch as much in, the, in, in spring training. Um, you know, he, he didn't really get a lot of time in the minors before he got called up. It's not like the Blue Jays developed Alec Manoa. <laughs> so this is really a chance to, you know, develop him within the organization. And, and, and it's a good thing. Now, the emotional toll that it's taking, I believe, has the potential of, of making Manoa a stronger person and making this, this team stronger as a whole. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. But it has been interesting to see just the amount of emotion that, that has been involved in this whole process. And it really shows how much people like Alec Manoa within the organization and how valued he really is. So those are kind of my main takeaways. In the long haul, this could be a very good thing. I, I think that's really well said. It's important context that, you know, Manoa's, it's not like he's 30 years old and he's completely lost it. Like he's still a huge part of this team's future and that relational aspect with Vlad, with Bo, with the other long-term pieces here uh, is an important one. And you're right. He really didn't, he pitched 35 innings in the minor leagues. Um, you know, the, like he came out of West Virginia, pretty established product in, in 2019. And then he loses the pandemic year like a lot of pitchers did. But I, I do wonder if we'll look back and, and look at 2020 for a lot of pitchers as well. That was your ramp up year. Like that's the, your first year in the minors is when you're supposed to be getting actual major league innings under you. And, and like Manoa at one point in college was a reliever too. It's not like he was, you know, throwing a hundred innings in college too. So um, I, I think that's a, a helpful thing to remember. And it's a good point, Julia, you make about um, developing him because he was kind of such a finished product right away. Now, from within that answer, I think I know your answer to this next one, but the decision to have him on paper option to the Florida Complex League instead of, say, Dunedin Single A or, or Triple A Buffalo, um, I, I think that's a lot about getting him down to the performance complex in Dunedin and not actually about which type of games he's going to participate in. Um, were you in favor of that move, the, the extra layer of kind of, kind of mental reprieve and, and the extra resources at the complex versus, hey, go figure this out every fifth day in Buffalo? 
Yeah, I, w- I would say that that is probably the ideal, just because Alec Manoa is uh, this is such a unique case, right? He finished third in Cy Young voting last year. So it's clear that it, this is not just something uh, that he needs to figure out every fifth day. Uh, it, it's uh, it's something that runs a little bit deeper. And it may be that, you know, his innings total last year just jumped to a career high uh, like we'd never seen before. You know, it was, it was such a, a big difference from one year to the other. Uh, so there may be something physical there that the Blue Jays need to actually explore a little bit more and understand. So he's not even going to pitch in games right away, mm-hmm. right? So this is very much about getting to know Manoa in a way that the Blue Jays didn't get a chance because he made it to the majors so fast. And now uh, this is really acquiring more information and making sure the Blue Jays can set him up to succeed uh, for you know the, the, the long-term future as well as just, uh, say, the second half of this season or, or whenever it may be that he may come back. So if the Blue Jays were going to do something like this, this had to be the move in my mind. I don't think that a, that sending Manoa down to AAA or even to to single A would have done would have had sort of the the desired effects here. This is this runs deeper, and so having him in the performance lab seems to be the best move. Julia, not to put extra work on your plate, but has Keegan Matheson, your counterpart at BlueJays.com and MLB.com, started petitioning for, hey, how can I go down to Florida out of the public eye and just like spend a couple weeks in Florida working on myself? Has Keegan been lobbying for that? <laughs> you know what? He had, he had, hmm. okay. So <laughs> every month or so, Keegan will suggest something like that. So I am sure that this is this, this will come. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a good idea. It's a good, it's a good sales pitch. Um, so in, in terms of Manoa and what's next, obviously we can't really know. And like these games he's going to be pitching in are not ones we'll be able to watch. And even if there's a stat line, like it's Florida complex league where we're not taking too much from the stat line. We, us as analysts and people following this team, do you think we're in a spot here where like almost a little bit handcuffed in that we, we kind of have to assume like he's out until he's not out, right? Like we, we can't possibly put a timeline on this or, or know how he's progressing. It, it kind of changes how we're going to evaluate things in the rotation the rest of the way, no? Yeah, that that's exactly it. It's um, There's no timeline. There's no blueprint. This is something that is so unique that we can't really know, right? Um, it seems like Bowden Francis will, you know, for now be the, the number five starter. Uh, which you know makes sense, but th- is this a long-term solution? No, it's not. So it, we really don't know how long Manoa is going to be out. Can Hinjin Ryu come back and be an effective starter? Can Mitch White come back and be an effective starter? There are a lot of question marks around this rotation right now because we don't know how long Manoa is going to be away for. That said, uh, it, it really makes you value a little bit more what Kevin Gosman did last night, right? It's, it was such a, a stabilizing performance, a spirit-lifting performance, exactly what the Blue Jays needed after such an emotional day. And when it comes to the rotation, there's really no way to overstate how important that was 
to not only stabilize that group, but, but you know, give it some, give it a boost here, give it a, a, some life after everything that happened. Yeah, and you're right, and you're going to need that more and more from Gosman because you know I, I like Bowden Francis. I, I think there's probably something there, but he hadn't gone more than four innings or 74 pitches okay. uh, at AAA. And guess what? Uh, at some point, someone's going to get hurt or need to start off here and there. And you just mentioned some names like Ryu and White and, you know, Zach Thompson's DFA now. He, he wasn't pitching particularly well. Uh, it gets ugly after that. And it's going to put, I mean, I, I think the one, if you wanted to be like really looking for positives from this, I, I really do think that the way things have gone and the number of times already Kevin Gosman's done that, if the Jays have even a reasonable record at the end of the year, he's going to be right near the top of uh, Cy Young conversations. And, and I know it's only, you know, we're, we're only a little over the one third of the way mark here, Julia, but do you think it's it's time to start considering, hey, yeah, Gosman was, was considered a really good pitcher last year. This might be his Cy Young season. 100%, Blake, and it, to me, it's a little bit puzzling that we're not seeing Gosman in these conversations because, you know, let's take out that one very ugly inning in Houston uh, in, in, in April. He has pitched like a Cy Young contestant every single time out. Um, this was his sixth outing with double-digit strikeouts. He leads, leads the American League. He's tied with Spencer Strider for the for the league for the MLB lead in the, in strikeouts. This is not <laughs> this is not a, a pedestrian season, right? And and the fact that we are not seeing his name in the conversation to me is um, is weird. I, I and I can't really explain it. I don't think it's in any way a bias against Toronto or anything like that. Um, but it, it seems to me like he is overlooked in some capacity right now because of what he's doing and because, honestly, of the importance of what he's been doing for the Blue Jays. Because this has been a very up-and-down season for Toronto, and the one thing that you can count on pretty much is that Kevin Gosman is going to give you at least six innings. Uh, and, you know, not to go too far here, but you kind of expect a quality start out of him, right? He, he's also, I think, not allowed a single run in maybe five of his uh, starts <laughs> this year, which is really, really impressive. So I would say that uh, that is those are Cy Young numbers right now, and if he can keep that up, he for sure should be in the conversation by the end of the season. And if you are the type of person who thinks this way, notable that Gosman's only fifth in the AL Cy Young odds right now. Uh, Shane McClanahan, Garrett Cole, Shohei Otani, Framber Valdez, who we're going to see on Thursday, uh, the names who are ahead of him there. So, yeah, get uh, get on board now because there's a there's a narrative component to award voting. And if the Jays stay around the playoff mix and the wild card mix and Gosman has further cemented himself as the ace, I, I think that's uh, that's a really big thing now. Julia, you're, you're around this team. Um, when you talk about Gosman and this level of performance and the reliability you were getting at there, do you, like, can you feel that around the team? Like, every Gosman start, this team knows, okay, today's a win day. We got to take, like, is, is there a trickle-down effect of kind of that, that aura that Gosman is pitching with every fifth day right now? For sure. I, I, I really do believe that. It, it's... Um, it's not just that he dominates on the mound. It's also that his demeanor is, is very, it's a calming presence in a way, you know, he's very laid back. He's soft spoken. 
doesn't take anything too seriously, just goes about his work. And then when he goes on the mound, uh, he becomes that fierce competitor uh, that we've seen time and time again. So it's uh, it's not just what he's doing uh, on the mound itself, but it is very much sort of the the effect that he has on the team as a whole, on the position players, uh, and really everyone in the organization. Dalton Varsho told Hazel May after the game yesterday something along the lines of, you know, that's what we expect from Kevin Gosman. It, it was huge. Um, but also we've kind of grown used to it in a way, and, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's really comforting to play behind a guy like that. So those are kind of his words I'm paraphrasing here. But you can see that everyone in this organization values the steady hand sort of uh, that Gosman brings. And you mentioned the the kind of demeanor, the quiet way he goes about his business. And another guy who's, you know, been been turning things around and looking like a better version of himself. Like when George Springer is going, he's the opposite. He gets really hyper, right? He's uh, he's bouncing <laughs> around the clubhouse and everything. Springer, Varsho, Bichette all hit home runs yesterday. Um, Springer's kind of turned it around for a while now. And Bo Bichette is Bo Bichette. He's arguably the, the best, you know, if we take away just the raw home run power, he's arguably the, the best kind of hitters hitter at the plate right now, other than maybe Louisa rise um, with when Springer is, is playing this way, how are you liking the way the Jays lineup is kind of structured and flowing right now, especially as you know, belt has turned it around. Dalton Varsho started to find some power. Do you think we're getting yeah. close to seeing the offensive version of this team? We, we expected at the start of the year. I do think so. I think we saw flashes of it uh, in April, obviously with Springer, you know, having the start that he had, uh, it, it didn't help us to sort of get that, um, that holistic experience of the Blue Jays lineup. But I do think that this it's coming now. If, if everyone can maintain sort of the production that we've seen when Springer is going, this is when this lineup is at its best. I think that the Blue Jays, um, Blue Jays hitters this season have taken on many different identities. You know, we've seen in how many different ways this lineup can hurt opposing teams when it's on, when it's producing. But George Springer is very much the engine. He continues to be the engine of this team. And so if he can maintain the production that we've seen of late or anything that resembles George Springer, that allows other guys to maybe start figuring it out. We see that Dalton Varsho is starting to uh, to heat up. You know, he's on a 10-game uh, hit streak right now. Vladdy Guerrero slowly but surely is looking more and more like himself. Ren Belt, as you said, has been, you know, on a tear since also having a, a, a sort of a slow start to the season. So if Springer is going at the top, that is the spark plug that the Blue Jays need to make things happen um, later on in the lineup. So I do believe that we are starting to see really what this lineup is capable of. It's a long season, and uh, we know that production is not linear at all, Blake. No, it's not, uh, unfortunately, but we, we can hope that it is. Um, last one for you, Julia. Someone who, who hasn't quite turned it around yet, although, although there have been slightly better signs of late. Um, what I, I guess this is more, I, I know I'm back 
I'm walking backwards into a compliment here, but Alexander Kirk's played 15 of the last 18 days uh, with Danny Jansen down with injury. And even before Jansen's injury, he was you know working as a pinch hitter or a DH on his off days and things like that. Um, what have you made uh, of Kirk's ability to withstand this kind of workload and, you know, not go gangbusters with the bat, but still at least have solid plate appearances and stuff. I, I'd have to imagine the team's pretty pleased, even if the numbers aren't, you know, anything crazy to write home about. Yeah, last year, Kirk also had a slow start. And let's fast forward to this year and remember that his spring training started pretty late because of the birth of his daughter. So those are things that we kind of need to uh, to consider as Kirk sort of found his footing uh, in, in 2023. That said, we all know what happens when he needs to catch more. Uh, we see sort of his power take a dip we see the production at the plate uh not necessarily what we have come to expect from alejandro kirk but one thing that we have come to expect is the on-base percentage right and that's usually what i look at when i when i actually want to make something out of what alejandro kirk is doing at the plate is the on-base percentage okay is he striking out he hasn't been by the way and is he making contact um his Teammates describe him as one of the best bat-to-ball hitters they have ever played with, which is a really big compliment. So the power comes and goes, and especially with where he is in catching duties, the physical pull that takes. But the way that I see Alejandro Kirk, if you want to ask yourself, is he okay, look at the strikeout numbers, look at the on-base percentage, and look at the contact rate. And those numbers are all fine. He will find his power again. Right now, he is giving the Blue Jays what the Blue Jays need out of him. Yeah, it's been pretty impressive and to withstand this with, with Danny Jansen out and hey, Tyler Heineman, I, I'm, I, I like the guy. I'm looking forward to seeing some magic tricks from him and things like that. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the Jays being able to survive this with so far only two Tyler Heineman starts uh, is a big boost. Julia Kreutz of MLB.com of Jays Talk. Thanks so much for taking the time out this morning and uh, enjoy that needy pup. Appreciate you very much. Have a great Wednesday. Thanks, Julia. Julia Quartz, MLB.com, BlueJays.com. Uh, Jays talk here on Sportsnet pretty frequently with Show Ali as well. Uh, we're going to take a break, but throughout the show, we're going to get to some of your texts. You can text 590-590. Uh, of course, there's a lot of Manoa conversation still ongoing, although at least we have an answer to the question of what are they going to do with it for right now. Uh, I'm sure when I open up the text line, there's going to be a lot of Zach Plesak and Chris Archer and names like that. Um, that, of course, we've talked about and will continue to talk about as the Jays, you know, look, I'm high on Bowden Francis as a guy who can give you three innings to start a bullpen day. Um, again, he hasn't thrown more than 74 pitches yet this season, and he's only made three appearances since returning from injury. So don't think that's a panacea for the entire pitching depth question right now. Um, so we'll get to your text. We'll, we'll sprinkle this in throughout the show. And when we come back, we'll talk to Vanessa Richardson, uh, the rock. Uh, Rockets. She does do Rockets reporting as well. Um, but the Astros sideline reporter for AT&T Sportsnet Southwest will continue to get the Astros side of things and maybe learn a little bit about hometown fan favorite Corey Jolks in the process. Uh, Vanessa Richardson joins us next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan and Sports at 360. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Stock Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jays Astros continues game three of that series tonight. Renel Blanco against Chris Bassett. Been a fun series so far. Uh, been a pretty big contrast in these two games. Very curious to hear how it's been for our next guest. 18 AT&T Sports at Southwest, uh, Astros and Rockets sideline reporter Vanessa Richardson at Sports Vanessa on Twitter. Vanessa, this is your first series field reporting for the Orioles for AT&T Sports. How's it going so far? Astros. Yeah, so I've done Astros. Pre- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. You almost nailed it. You were close. To the, um, <laughs> so close. But yeah, I've done pregame and postgame for them. Um, but yeah, Julia Morales getting some much-deserved time at home in Houston. So... I'm on the road, and yeah, my first game was um, an offensive explosion, yeah. to say the least. So, did Corey Dulks with the grand slam, and then everybody else kind of, uh, kind of followed. It was really cool. I uh, I don't know. That's twice today in the show already. I've called the Astros the Orioles, and I think my brain is just stuck on the imbalanced schedule where the Jays played the Orioles like every second day last year. That's what I'm going to chalk it up to. Um, so this is uh, your your first time doing this particular role instead of pre and post game. You get to come to Toronto uh, for the trip. How are you liking the city other than the you know the paying cash snafu that you you tweeted about on your uh, at Sports Vanessa on Twitter? Blake, literally so embarrassing. Like, okay, so I have been here one time when the Rockets played the Raptors, but we were only here for, I mean, we're talking less than 24 hours, like in and out. And it was the winter, so I didn't really get the Toronto experience. Um, And so, yeah, yesterday I was at Zara at the mall and just found, like, a cute blazer I wanted and decided to pay for it with cash because I had some cash on me. And the young man behind the counter, he was so sweet. I could tell he didn't want to embarrass me. And he kind of leaned over. He said, do you have Canadian dollars? <laughs> and I was like, um, no, I don't. Here's my credit card. Let's never talk about this again. <laughs> but, no, I like it. It's really cool. The energy here is fantastic. The weather, um, you know, Dusty Baker had told me that, that Toronto was amazing in the summer. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to uh, see it even more over the, ne- the next couple of days. And if anybody has any recommendations of where we should eat, where we can get some late night food, something I should go see, please tweet me and let me know. Vanessa, I am uh, I am nothing but full of recommendations, and I'll, I'll be down at the park a little later. So if we cross paths, <laughs> I, I got you covered. And, and, yeah, people can tweet you at Sports Vanessa um, with their recommendations for the city uh, as well. So you're getting to do uh, this sideline work for this series, and that means you're in kind of that camera well right next to the dugout. Um, comparing that to, you know, what we get, you know, I, I came up on the basketball side as well and do as much Raptors as I do Blue Jays. So yeah. I, I know that your you know your rocket side is you're not right beside the bench for that I, I know when you're doing pre and post game you're not right beside the dugout what extra element ha- has that added for you these last couple games it's really cool you know the thing about basketball is it's like so intimate like the fans are on top of the game the fans can hear what's being said on the bench and all that and and you know then baseball is is a little bit different um football is completely completely different but yeah i know it's cool it's been cool to hear what's said down there in the in the dugout and just some of the dynamics between the guys hmm. and everything is more fun when you're winning right like i moved to houston in 2019 to cover sports for one of the for the local nbc station so i've actually been able to cover the astros for a few years uh prior and then i had a radio show 
um, briefly and, and e, uh, for the ESPN affiliate as well. So it's like I, it, it's like I know the team, but it, this role is new. Um, and it's really, really cool to see some of the young guys and watch that confidence organically build in real time to, you know, seeing some of the habits because, you know, baseball players are all about habits and tradition and all of that. Um, it's been it's been really cool. There's it, no doubt. And this Astros team in particular seems to have such a great mix of like established veterans. And then because of, of injury and because of, you know, it's just time. They have so many of these exciting young prospects coming up who are new this year or were new last year. Um, what is that dynamic like for this team, whether you're you're talking being beside the dugout or just in general, because they are kind of, you know, towing the line of, yeah, we're in win now mode. We're the defending World Series champions, but also we're bringing up all these young guys and trying to work them into the fold. How has that been for uh, this Astros team so far? I actually think it's gone really well. Like this many pitchers being injured or Keeney McCullers Garcia would be catastrophic for most franchises. And so you have somebody like Renal Blanco who's pitching tonight that's been primarily a reliever and, you know, made his first major league start the other night. And then, you know, you also have guys like Corey Jolks, Jake Myers, you know, Mauricio Dubon, guys getting playing time with Michael Brantley being out. Jose Altuve returns tonight, but he's been out for a while. And so I think the name of the game is depth. I mean, I think the name of the game in baseball is depth, especially when you have this many injuries. Um, And the Astros have handled it really well. And I think Dusty has done a good job of putting lineups out there that are good matchups. And it's like I talked to hitting coach Alex Centron yesterday. You know, it was appropriate to talk to him after the Astros hit so well. They had a season-high 19 hits that first game. And he just said, look, for us to repeat it and get another World Series, people have to understand it takes everyone. So the injuries have been a bummer. But the way guys have stepped up, I don't care if you're talking about the guys in the outfield pitch it, like whatever, the way guys have stepped up has been impressive. You mentioned Corey Jolks within that. Obviously, he has the big grand slam uh, in Monday's game. I know he was your your post-game on-field interview. He's also, I I know he's not really, uh, he's 27 at this point. So even though he's a rookie, he's not quite prospect the way we talk about prospects. But he's, uh, he's also a homegrown kid. Has he emerged as kind of a fan favorite with this Astros team? Yeah, I think the fact that he's a Houston native and went to University of Houston, that's the, that's the big thing, too, because there's a lot of guys from Houston. Houston's massive. There's mm-hmm. tons of MLB, NFL, NBA. I mean, you know, Jimmy Butler's from Houston, whatever. Like, everybody's from Houston. But the fact that he's from Houston, grew up an Astros fan, and then went to University of Houston, drafted by the Astros in, I believe, 2017, and has grinded his way through the minors, People love that, and people love somebody that has kept their head down in life and just worked, and that's been Corey Jolks. Um, it's one of my favorite stories in, in all of baseball. Like, imagine, you know, you get drafted by your hometown team out of college, and then, you know, you grind your way, and then you, you're on the team that you grew up playing, you know, or watching. Mm-hmm. Um his dad, his family, his friends, they're at every game. So I'm rooting for him big time. He's a great guy, has a great personality. He's so kind, and it's impossible not to root for a guy like that. 
another kind person from what I gather that you get to talk to fairly regularly is Dusty Baker. Given everything that Dusty Baker has done in his life and his career and how well-respected he is now with the ring, of course, um, how cool an element and how much joy to the to the job day-to-day does being able to talk to Dusty and kind of pick his brain uh, do for you? So I love Dusty, and I met him when I worked at the local news station in Houston covering the Astros. And if anybody who's ever worked in local news knows, like, it is an absolute grind. Like, you're shooting and edit- editing everything yourself. You're, you know, just you have to do a lot of different things to make it work. And Dusty was always really encouraging of me, and um, I just love him so much. He is a legend, and you're talking about somebody that, you know, like, perfect example. Like, I was talking one day about how I like Bill Withers, you know, who's a great artist who passed away. You know, I have a very old soul when it comes to music and Dusty's like, oh, I knew Bill Withers and his wife. <laughs> this guy knows everybody from, you know, and you have, to, you have to understand he played for the Dodgers, right? So he knows all the, like, the Lakers and the guys that were playing back then in California. So he's just the coolest person ever. And, um, yeah, he brings a lot of joy to the job. He brings a lot of old school wisdom but i think he also has been willing to you know assimilate a little bit and and guys that stick around know the balance of both so um i know the guys respect the heck out of him i know the guy's parents a lot of them grew up watching dusty and he's managed everywhere so he has a good idea of different franchises different players um you know you're going to see greg kessinger play tonight greg kessinger's grandfather Don Kessinger won two gold gloves with the Chicago Cubs and Dusty's like yeah I played against (laughs) so it's just yeah Dusty is is definitely incredible and um you know him getting that World Series last year um uh, we were on the road for the Rockets but I had tears in my eyes when they they showed him getting you know the guys hugging him and yeah I love him he's great that's great and and on, on our own broadcast on sports at television Buck Martinez our color analyst came up with Dusty as well so we got I, I can't remember if it was yesterday or Monday but we got the full slate of Dusty Baker stories uh on the Jays broadcast <laughs> as well uh which was great there was like a whole inning of just like yeah yeah whatever's going on in the game who, who cares we're just going to talk Dusty Baker and I could listen to that for for hours. Um, so you mentioned Greg Kissinger, who is up. Uh, you know, he was performing pretty well at, at AAA. Another one of these, you know, hey, the Astros have been able to be patient with this guy. He's 25. So, you know, maybe not yeah. prospect age, but another guy who's going to come up. Um, what does that look like in terms of, you know, I know Jose Altuve was expected to, to play yesterday and didn't end up playing. What does the infield dynamic look like for this team the next couple days? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. I believe Dusty said Kessinger third base, Doobie shortstop, and then Altuve second base. Um, I think Bregman is getting just a rest day. And that's the other, I mean, it sounds like cliche, but that's the the other thing with depth, right? Like it, like Dubon is playing well. Like certain guys are playing well. So you can give guys rest days. I remember last week, he rested Kyle Tucker one day and said, look, we're going to be in Toronto where there's turf for four days. So, you know, we're going to rest Kyle today or something along those lines. So it'll be day by day. And, you know, Dusty, the Astros, like they don't, and they never want to reveal too much, but I certainly expect to see Gray and, and I'm ex- really excited to see what he can do. Um, he had a lot of joy and a lot of excitement when he talked about getting the call and calling his wife and calling his parents. 
And we also talked to uh, Dubon yesterday about how Jose Altuve has been helpful to him and has encouraged him. So it's a very healthy dynamic in the clubhouse. And whatever they go with, hopefully they can um, make it work. Yeah, and the, the, we had a question in the text line asking what happens with Dubon when the, the Astros get healthier because whoever wrote this text and they didn't sign it said that guy's a player and he certainly looks like it, but it sounds like, you know, the Astros will just kind of continue to spread the reps around and, you know, depth is a, depth is a positive even if it gets everyone uh, an extra day off uh, here and there. Vanessa, you do cover the Rockets as well, so I would be remiss if I didn't ask you yeah. what – did you make of Ime Udoka's first pitch? He gets hired as the Houston new head coach of the Houston Rockets. He comes out to an Astros game. He fires the first pitch. This is a guy like it's not. It's not just a random person throwing a first pitch. This guy was an NBA player. This is a professional athlete. I was a little yeah. underwhelmed with the first pitch. Were you? So I thought it was okay. He went with the one hop. He <laughs> actually his first sport was baseball. Um, you know, now that was 30 years ago, but he grew up in the Portland area and was a multi, multi-sport athlete. So, yeah, I mean, I was fine with it. Look, this is what I told people. Ime Udoka nails the first pitch. Uh, you know, he, he does the first pitch one hop. It's a good first pitch. We've seen a lot worse. D'Amico Ryan, head coach of the Texans, nailed the first <laughs> pitch. And then the Astros won the World Series. So I tell Houston sports fans, Hope is on the horizon for the Texans and the Rockets, and then you have the the Astros, who are bona fide World Series <laughs> champions. But no, Emay's great. I mean, I think he's going to bring um, energy. He's going to bring discipline. He's going to bring, uh, you know, just a fresh outlook for this team. And while you know, I don't think we have anything confirmed yet for the coaching staff. The reports of who he's bringing in, man, I mean, they are winners. They are winners. So. I think the tide is going to turn in Houston with the Rockets, and I am really excited to see these guys grow. Geez, it must be so tough to not know who the assistants are yet. Not like here in Toronto where we don't know who the head coach is still. It's been like six weeks. Um, No, what's the deal with that? What's the deal with that? I think part of it, honestly, and this isn't reporting, this is just my read, is I I know Sergio Scariolo is is one of the finalists, and he's still coaching in the Italian League playoffs. Um, Chris Quinn was in the mix at one point. He's obviously still coaching with the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals, so maybe that's a bit of it, but this team is like this front office is so patient anyway that like last time when they when they fired Dwayne Casey and hired Nick Nurse it was like a five or six week wait then too it's just uh I don't know they're not in a rush it's annoying for media purposes though definitely annoying but at least it gives you and I know as somebody that drove a radio show it gives you that June content that can be very valuable my friend so keep up with the speculation (laughs) keep throwing the random names in (laughs) yes not gonna look a gift horse in the mouth there if we got to talk Jordy Fernandez if we got to talk you know the top Lithuanian coaching prospect Sarunas Yaskovich is what we'll do what we got to do um Vanessa Richardson thanks so much for taking the time out keep up all the great work at AT AT&T Sports at Southwest uh, Astros Rockets at Sports Vanessa on Twitter uh thanks so much for taking the time out thank you so much this was great vanessa richardson uh you can see her on the astros side of the broadcast for at&t sports at southwest uh the rest of this series as well uh little bo jackson to her two sports wouldn't know anything about that here uh bouncing between uh the two back and forth and um, we do have some text in the text line we, we've uh you 
I, I mentioned earlier, you can send those into 590, 590. We'll sprinkle them in uh, throughout the show. Um, I, I get confused sometimes too. I forget that Blair and Barker have like contests every day. So I'm seeing these and I won't read the names because I don't want to give the answer away, but I'm seeing people text in the answers to trivia questions. I'm like, what are you talking about? Why are you bringing this particular person or this particular pairs of, of people up? Um, yeah, so I guess uh, I guess I got to be careful which one of those um, that I pick out. So there are a couple uh, questions in the text line. Make sure you sign them and let us know where you're from so we can show you out. Uh, Mike says, uh, there was a chart yesterday that showed all of Gosman's strikeout pitches were balls. Why don't other teams lay off of those pitches? Um, you'd think a manager would say, just don't swing and take that chance. Well, Mike, here's the tough thing is you don't know that they're going to be Balls. And I, I mentioned off the top of the show that one of the most fascinating things about Gosman's statistical profile right now and last night specifically is that the way that the splitter and the fastball play off of each other is that they look the, they look so similar for so long and then the splitter tails off at the last possible moment. So what looks like a strike coming in um, dips out of the zone and what looks like a, a fastball becomes a splitter and vice versa. And the way we can look at something like that is not only did 13 of Kevin Gosman's strikeouts or, or all the swinging ones come on pitches that were out of the zone. He got 14 called strikes with the fastball. So what that tells you is not only are guys unable to tell when it's a splitter and lay off of it, they're unable to tell when it's a fastball and they should jump on it. That's the deception and the interplay between the fastball and the splitter. Now we have seen teams be able to for one time through the order or something like that. Like the odd times that Kevin Gosman has had a bad start. Some of it is maybe, you know, you're not locating the fastball as well, or the splitters catching too much of the zone teams can go up there and be like, look, anything low we're laying off of, because that's probably going to be a splitter and we'll take our chances. If you have to take a strike early in the count, so be it. But we've only seen that work for one, maybe like one start at a time, maybe even one time through the order at a time, because what can happen then is, is Gosman can locate the fastball anywhere and he can throw the splitter. He prefers to throw the splitter below the bottom of the zone, but he can mix that up as well. And something that we've seen him go to at times when a team is doing that. And I think back to there was whatever the Saturday game is. I, I want to say it was against the Orioles. He threw 115 pitches. It was a game at Rogers center and he went away from the splitter for two innings just to mix things up because it looked like maybe the, t the opponent. And I, again, I think it was the Orioles that one. Cause I think it was the Adley Rutschman series. Um, and the team looked like they were laying off of anything low because of exactly what you're saying. And then for two innings, he was just like, all right, I'll go fastball slider. And that got him right back on track. And then once you're looking for fastball slider drops the splitter back in. So, um, you know, I, I get what you're saying and teams have certainly tried to execute that strategy, but it's, uh, it's pretty tough once you start, I mean, well, I haven't sat in there against the fastball and the splitter, but the way it seems and the way the numbers bear out is that it's really, really tough to stick to that strategy because they look so similar uh, and they're following the same path for, for so long through his delivery. Um, there are a couple of texts in the text line as well. Um, just, you know, the support for Alec Manoa and hoping he can get the, the emotional and mental side of things, uh, which is nice to hear. I, I think, you know, we talked to Julia Kreutz a little earlier about the way that the Blue Jays have, the Blue Jays 
his teammates have tried to support Manoa and give him that support, let him know um, that they have his back and that there's still love for him, even if the results aren't there. I think that's important. I'm not going to say, you know, Jays fans should storm the, the Dunedin complex and support him, but it is nice to see tweets or, or texts in the text line, um, you know, with that level of support from Manoa and understanding that, yeah, he hasn't performed up to expectation, but that's not the end of the world and you've got a look a, a big part of getting Alec Manoa back to 2021 2022 version of Alec Manoa the pitcher is going to be getting the the mental side of things well as well um someone who didn't sign theirs said the Blue Jays should consider trading for Shane Bieber what do you think uh yeah I mean look this is kind of going to be and we're going to talk to Shai Davidi about this uh in the next segment one of the bigger questions the Jays are going to have to answer now between now and the deadline is when you look at what this rotation looks like I think you're pretty comfortable with Gosman as your one Bassett Brios are pitching like two, three, four guys right now. Kikuchi's okay as a fifth starter. Um, he's probably outperformed what a fifth starter would do, but maybe not quite a third starter or fourth starter levels yet. What they have to decide is, well, are you penciling Alec Manoa back in at some point this season? Is Hyunjin Ryu someone who is coming back for sure? Or someone who, if they get back, it's gravy. And that's kind of an extra bonus that you get for, you know, August and September and see where he's at, because it's worth remembering that Ryu also wasn't particularly effective before uh, he got hurt last time around. We also don't know, you know, as he ramps up, as he gets in game situations, how does that elbow respond? Where, where is his stuff at? Um, and then, you know, can you survive with Bowden Francis in some bullpen days for a week? Can it, can it be two weeks? Can it be the rest of June? Because you have three off days. Those are the kind of decisions the Jays are going to have to explore. And then they'll have to figure out, well, if the answer to any of those things is nah, we've kind of got four guys and then a bunch of question marks. Do you push in for a Shane Bieber who is only making $10 million uh, this year and has one more year of arbitration eligibility. The price tag would probably be pretty high, but the Cleveland guardians aren't going anywhere. We know that this front office has a pretty good relationship with that front office. Still um, maybe it's a possibility. I think what some people would caution is maybe, you know, when you look at budget concerns and Matt Chapman's a free agent, what are you doing in that spot next season? Is this team good enough to be worth putting more chips in uh, for an extra starter? Those are all things they're going to have to weigh, but most of it is going to come down to what is the, how does Alec Manoa's situation change what this team is thinking big picture? Let's take a break. And when we come back, We'll talk to Shai Davidi, Sportsnet's MLB insider, uh, about just that, about what the trickle-down is for this Alec Manoa decision, not only for the rotation in the bullpen right now and this time through the order, next time through the order, but for the larger picture of the 2023 Blue Jays season. That's next as Jays Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 The Fan and Sports at 360. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. You can keep your texts coming into 590. 590 uh of course lots of questions and comments about what does uh what does the blue jays rotation look like for the next little bit and for the longer haul with alec manoa now optioned to the florida complex league let's talk to shy davidi about it sports that's mlb insider shy how are you today 
I'm all right, Blake. What's shaking? Not much. Uh, I, I very much appreciated that the Blue Jays, from a, a baseball and performance perspective, were able to turn the page a little bit last night after the Alec Manoa news. A, a, a nice Kevin Gosman outing, a, a nice W. But we do have to talk about the Alec Manoa stuff. You're our MLB insider at Sportsnet. Walk us through what the last, you know, 48 to 72 hours have been like for the Blue Jays. Um, you know, expectations for Manoa's last start and the follow from that. How did the decision to send Manoa to the Florida complex league and more specifically the, the performance complex in Dunedin, uh, how did all of this come to pass? Well, I, I guess you can start with the, let's start with the Houston Astros outing, right? And you could have very easily rationalized that, or at least there's a pathway to rationalize that outing and say, look, it's a 68 mile an hour blue base hit to open the game, a, a foul line hugging bunt base hit, and then uh, a not terribly hard chopper by Jordan Alvarez that if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. picks cleanly, uh, and it's on a tough play, you know, that you're probably getting two there, and maybe he's out of the inning. And, may, and after that, who knows? Maybe Alec Manoa gets on a bit of a roll, gets some confidence, and changes things. But uh, ultimately, it came down to do you want Alec Manoa just surviving or how do you get him back to thriving? And the Blue Jays did some of that rationalization after the, the Milwaukee start. It was like, well, there's some positives. You can springboard off this and you can build, but there's, there just hasn't been much momentum for him. And, you know, even when he had that great outing in New York uh, in, I guess, late April and you thought, okay, now he's going to start turning the corner. He just never really has. From a stuff perspective, the delivery is inconsistent. And so it just got to the point where he can't resolve or hasn't been able, at least to this point, to be able to resolve the things that he was working on and trying to get through at the big league level. And so how do you get him back to that point? And then so, you know, once you've kind of made the decision, okay, he needs a timeout, well, where is he going to get the resources? And do you want him competing every five days, trying to get results on a mound? Right now, they don't. They want him to fix some deficiencies that they've identified in his delivery. Uh, they want him to, they figure that once he's back to that, back to that mechanical delivery that he's had in the past, that'll resolve some of the velocity dip and, you know, location issues. And once you have that piece in place, then you start throwing him back in the game, spacing hitters, and all of a sudden you're hoping he looks like the guy in the past. So the place where that is obviously the Florida Complex League. You've got access to the player development complex and all the tools and resources they have there, including the pitching lab, which is probably where a lot of the work with him is going to begin. And I, I think that's how they arrived at the decision. It wasn't knee-jerk, uh, but it, it was pretty clear, I guess, after the Astros outing that this isn't just going to snap back. And once you, once you kind of make the decision, okay, it's not going to snap back, it's oh, where are the next steps, and that's where the Blue Jays landed. It's, uh, it's a tough spot. It's uh, Yeah, it's, I, I don't know. 
you know, what the right answer is. I think this is where I was leaning and doing the show yesterday and teeing up what the potential decision could be. Um, Shai, you, you kind of laid out a lot there, but in terms of next step, we, we heard, you know, he's going to have this intake bullpen session where they kind of evaluate where his delivery and mechanics are at and things like that. Um, I know the Jays aren't going to put timelines on this, but we're not going to be able to see these Florida complex league games anyway. I, I think anything from the stat line is not going to really tell us a lot anyway. So us as, you know, reporters and, and analysts, is it, is it just kind of sit on our hands and, and wait for an update for a little while here now? Well, I mean, to an extent, I'm sure that the Blue Jays aren't going to suddenly share with us any of the measurable data that will provide any meaningful insight into this. Uh, it's more, where are you at? And I'm sure there's going to be lots of questions. John Schneider over the coming weeks is going to be fielding a lot of that stuff, uh, especially as that tenuous fifth spot in the rotation now or open spot in the rotation keeps coming up. And how do you figure out what to do with it? Uh, you know, if Bowden Francis uh, takes, takes the job with it and runs a little bit, you know, that's sort of the best case scenario for the Blue Jays right now. But I don't know that they can count on on that. They don't have very much in terms of options. Uh, you know, in talking to some people, it doesn't seem to be a lot in terms of guys on minor league contracts with outs coming up or uh, at least anything that you'd want to do. So there, this isn't. There's going to be some temptation that as soon as there's some positives, to just get Alec Manoa back here, but. I do think the Blue Jays will be disciplined in terms of they have to get this right and better three weeks now or four weeks or whatever it is, and you get the best version of Alec Manoa, then maybe you rush it to plug a hole and it's still the up and down and the, the struggling to find form Alec Manoa. Yeah, it's tough. So, I mean, from a timeline, you, you again, you kind of answered my question before I got to ask it there in terms of what is what does the timeline look like? And I guess some of this will be dictated by, a lot of it will be dictated by Manoa. Some of it will be dictated by how options like Bowden, Francis, and things like that hold up. Um, and I think, you know, we've all covered at this point that for the month of June, say, they might be able to operate in triage mode. You, If you use the three off days that they have, if you have you know, Gosman and Bassett and those guys pitch every fifth day instead of every fifth game. You punt on a little bit of extra rest, but you help get through this. Now, having said all of that, there is a scenario where you want to get those guys the extra rest or the Bowden, Francis and bullpen days aren't working or Alec Manoa isn't making quick progress down in, in the complex league in Dunedin. Um, in those events, what would the next steps be? Because like, I, I know that this feels big and unexpected to some people because it's Alec Manoa. It's your ace who's who's now out of the rotation and down in the minors. But the Jays weren't going to last the season with only five starters or even six starters anyway, probably. Um, at what point would the team deem the current depth situation, you know, untenable where it's like, oh, well, we can't wait on Alec Manoa. We've got to do something uh, a little more immediate. Like, what is the timeline for that look like with the American League as tight at the top as it is? Yeah, well, I mean, that's really a byproduct of your alternatives, mm -hmm. right? And it's not trade time yet, but that's, what are we, seven weeks away now from, from deadline? So that runway isn't, it's both long and short, uh, especially when you're, you're trying to grind through it. But you know, the, before we delve, delve into that a little bit more, you know, the notion of 
putting too much pressure on the rotation or, or skipping the skipping the off days and you're using the off days to skip a spot and putting a little bit more burden on the current five. Like, that's a really thin line. The thing that you kind of have to ask yourself is how much risk can you take with the existing four? Because, you know, if someone takes a line drive off the shin or something else happens, where are you at at that point? Mm-hmm. Because you, you can barely cover one spot as opposed to covering two. So you want to be careful about putting too much on those guys and making sure you're doing all you can to keep them healthy and giving them some deserved rest because by the time they start getting to some of those June off days, it will have been 30 games in 31 days. So you have to, at a certain point, you have to keep the health of the four over and above or, or take that into more consideration than just worried about the one spot. So I, I'd be somewhat surprised if they if they push the other guys. Although, you know, that's certainly a discussion at least uh, the, the option on the table. And then in terms of sort of what, how, what kind of runway with that other spot, look, eventually you can start forcing some trade issues, uh, and there will be opportunities uh, where you know the deals start coming up, and maybe if it's desperate enough, maybe you have, just have to pay a bit of a premium to get a player early if things have gone as awry as they could potentially in one scenario. Uh, the other thing, too, is that we're starting to get into the runway where, you know, Hyunjin Ryu is potentially an, an option in terms of weeks uh, as opposed to months. And I'm not saying like three, four weeks, but, you know, end of July, uh, or latter part of July, could he start entering the con- the conversation? I mean, it's possible. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm not saying it's guaranteed to happen. But his progress is such that it's at least something on on the frame of uh, of uh, at least on the spectrum of possibilities. So uh, all that stuff has to play out. There has to be some runway for the time being. I think the Blue Jays wing it a little bit and and just see what happens with what they have in house. Uh, be that bullpen days or you know Bowden Francis able to to haul four to five innings and, and you go from there uh, but beyond that it starts getting a lot more complicated if the Blue Jays have to go that route so let's focus on who who is here now for a little bit and I'm sure we'll we'll keep touching on the Manoa story over the course of the season is going to be the biggest story of the Jays season unless they make a big playoff run or something like that and hey the return could be the the biggest and coolest story of the the second half of the season um, but Bowden Francis is up right now and he's you know not really prospect age anymore he's 27 at this point he, he wasn't really on any you know prospect lists or anything like if Fangrass had him as the number 16 prospect in the in the Jays system them and I know he's dealt with some injury stuff um, beyond just eating up innings is Bowden Francis still a guy that this front office has been high on and think can be uh, like a piece for this club or is he strictly uh, we got to put a band-aid on this and get some depth option well a, a year ago the there were a lot higher hopes for him uh, and he was seen as someone who could be uh, somebody who could emerge into you know a depth option or maybe potentially someone who could log some, some innings for the team. Uh, and then he had a really difficult season uh, for a few different weeks. And then he went uh, and pitched in winter ball. It, it, 
over the winter and then ended up finding some success there and maybe a few things to build on. And uh, he's carried that over into the minor league season. I think the Blue Jays liked what they saw in the spring and reinforced why they had some positive thoughts about him and uh, in the past. So he could be someone who logs some innings. Is he Ricky Tiedemann? No. Uh, is he Alex Manoa? No. But he's someone who could potentially uh, log some innings, uh, just play a role, and, and maybe contribute beyond expectations. So uh, there, there's some stuff there. There's, uh, there's a, a pretty good fastball. There's a pretty good breaking ball. He's, he's made some progress in terms of handling the running game and things of that nature, although there may be some work that needs to happen there as well. So, you know, the, this isn't necessarily just warm body insert in a rotation. This is someone who had put himself into the co- conversation for if there's a need, uh, this guy can fill a spot and maybe there's a bit more opportunity for him now to emerge because the Blue Jays haven't carried a long guy in the bullpen this year. And, you know, with Mitch White being all kinds of sideways right now, he's, he's certainly got an opportunity to maybe find a, a bit of a place on this team even beyond just um, just just current situation. What is the latest with Mitch White in terms of, I, I mean, I know the latest update is he's had a couple rough rehab starts. He's had his rehab reset because of, you know, a physical setback. And then he came out of the bullpen over the weekend. It, it, I believe today is his next day to start, but this, the, the, Franchise has talked as if Mitch White is now being set up to be potentially a, a bulk bullpen guy rather than a starter. Um, ha, like, where where have things kind of gone awry for Mitch White? Is it as simple as, well, he didn't have a spring training and much of an offseason because the shoulder thing? Um, because he's a guy that, you know, he's, he's out of options as well. And I know... It's not like if you do this with every trade, you're going to find some you lost. But Nick Frasso, his numbers at double A are, are, are obscene. Um, where's the organization at on, on Mitch White in kind of the, the bigger picture sense right now? Yeah, it's certainly difficult. I remember talking to one executive uh, over the winter and he, he was shocked that the, the, the Jays or uh, that Nick, the Jays gave up Nick Frasso. Uh, for Mitch White, and he thought that they must either have a really high evaluation on Mitch White, or maybe some concerns longer term on uh, on Nick Frasso's ability to stay healthy. So, you know, good, good on uh, good on Nick for having a that very nice breakout at Double A so far this season. Uh, in terms of Mitch White, look, I, I think the Blue Jays really believed in him. They thought there was an opportunity. They, they saw him as someone who could perhaps be um, a Ross Stripling type. Uh, and, and certainly he's followed along those lines. And Ross Stripling himself, who knew him from, the Do- from their time together with the Dodgers, uh, just said that this is somebody who could certainly fill that sort of swingman role, had a lot of the profile and the ingredients there. But he's really chasing a lot of things. So he's not healthy. Uh, or wasn't healthy to start the season or in spring training. So he wasn't able to get that. So he's trying to catch up physically. Uh, when you're chasing that, it becomes difficult to perform. So he's trying to find ways to perform without maybe his best stuff, without uh, all the work you need underneath him. And he's just chasing it right now is maybe the best way uh, I could explain it. So that's, that's put the Blue Jays in a difficult spot because he was seen as – you know, the insurance policy is the number six, the guy who would mop up in games where there was a mess. And 
you lose that piece, and the Blue Jays didn't really have the alternative. You know, Zach Thompson had an opportunity to be that guy, and he didn't pitch well, and that was designated for assignment. So that's off the table. And then, you know, the couple of the depth guys that the Blue Jays brought in, minor league signings in terms of Drew Hutchison, who's no longer in the organization. Uh, Casey Lawrence hasn't pitched well. So, so that's gone sideways too. So that those are a lot of things that didn't break right for the Blue Jays uh, from a depth standpoint. And, uh, you know, the, the hope is that Mitch White maybe gets through this season as in, in that, you know, long relief role and then has a proper off season and maybe can get back to something more than that. But at, at this point, it's uh, it's a little bit of survival for him from this point forward. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe this is a, a little bit of Ling Chi, you know, a death by a thousand cuts or whatever, but it does seem like, you know, the pitching depth has a number of those little things go the wrong way story. Um, it, this is maybe more of a, a bigger philosophical offseason question, but when you do look at, you know, we're having these conversations and we're talking about potentially having to to look outside the organization because of one pitcher coming out of the out of the rotation and things like that, it, is there is there a point at which, or have we already hit that point and we're just not seeing the returns as high as the AAA level yet, where where this front office has changed kind of their identification and development philosophy with, with pitching depth? I, I don't know if it's changed the the the, the framework for that. Uh, it, like it's certainly constantly evolving, uh, but you can't operate just strictly based on need. Now, for, there was one adjustment. You know, they did maybe try to do a little bit more on the minor league free agent side uh, this off season. You, you saw that with Hutchison. You saw it with Casey Lawrence, which they felt they maybe missed a little bit coming out of the lockout and there was so much chaos in terms of player signings at, uh, you know, at the big league level. And, you know, the, you think about the Jays, uh, you know, the day, uh, the reporting date, the spring training, uh, you say Kikuchi uh, was signed a, a little bit later, the Matt Chapman trade took place. Uh, there was, uh, the, the, you know, the Gritchick for Tapia. So there were a lot of major league moves that were being done coming out of the lockout and that there maybe just wasn't enough opportunity or, or space to do handle that on the pitching side. I think that changed a little bit this off season, but you know, the, the, you expect that you make, or you have six, seven options uh, for potential depth that one of them is going to be all right. And right now, like none of them are okay. You know, th- there was even a scenario, okay, Ricky Tiedemann pitches well for the first couple months of the season. He's strong. He's starting to be built up you've got this type of situation. Okay. Maybe this is a spot for Ricky Tiedemann, but even that's off the table as he's dealing with that, that biceps issue. So the, that part of it is that old adage. you never have enough pitching. Hmm. Uh, part of it is just, you just can't get it. Like, it's just hard to find. Not a lot of teams are, you know, seven, eight, nine guys deep from a starting pitching standpoint. So uh, the, there's that, that combination of, uh, you factor in as well that everything that could go wrong sort of has gone wrong on that front. And, you know, the Blue Jays are in the spot where they find themselves. I think it's, uh, it is coincidental at least that this is all happening for the Blue Jays as they're up against the Astros in a series where the Astros are the team that go like nine deep in the rotation and lost three big parts of the rotation. Now they're just like ah, six man rotation with a bunch of guys that were fifth round picks and 11th round picks and whatever. Um, but obviously the Astros uh, are the Astros. So um, we'll see this series continue tonight. Chris Bassett back on the mound, uh, new, well, new, I guess, 
dad again? What do you, what do you call it when you, you have multiple kids? Try it. You're not a new dad, but are you like a, like a renewed dad? What, what do you call it when you're fresh off of a, a second or third kid? Dad for a second time. Okay. Dad for a third time maybe. But, uh, but yeah, uh, he's uh, obviously very happy about sort of the way it worked out and uh, that he was able to pitch in that game, come back, hmm. uh, be there, and have a couple of days at home to help stabilize things. And uh, in chatting with him last night, everything's going going well with uh, with family. So, you know, certainly. Uh, Best wishes to, to, to them on uh, obviously a significant moment uh, in their lives. Um, but yeah, you, you talk about sort of like who are the guys that you feel best about for the Blue Jays taking the ball. It was Kevin Gosman last night, uh, you know, just his usual unflappable self. And then uh, Chris Bassett right behind in terms of someone who just, you just trust to figure it out. That could, uh, most of the times, it's going to be. It's going to be good. Occasionally, it's going to be great. Once in a while, it's not going to be the best. But you trust him to have the responsibility to to be able to step up when when the Blue Jays need it, and sort of he's done that uh, so far this season. Well, Shai Davidi, uh, looking forward to that game down at the park. Uh, I hope I run into you. I'll be down there as well. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. Talk soon. Shai Davidi, sports that's MLB insider. Uh, we have some texts in the text line, obviously a lot about the, the Manoa fallout. So we'll go through a couple of them here. Um, you know, we're not going to get to, to all of them, uh, of course, but we'll try to get to a couple of them here. Um, Eddie and Fort Erie says, as far as Manoa goes, the only two options are he'll come back in September when rosters expand or stay in Florida the rest of the year to be ready for next spring. What time frame am I looking at for him? Honestly, Eddie, I, I don't think we can really answer that one because it is like, like you're talking about that's three months away and this team doesn't have options in the rotation right now. Uh, and I say that as someone who, who likes what I've seen from Bowden Francis going through uh, some of those MILB TV games over, over the last couple of days and looking into some of the, the stack cast numbers that we have for AAA games. I don't think you can punt it that far just yet. I, I think you have to approach the next little bit as if that's a possibility, but you know, if Manoa after a month down starts to look back uh, or, or some semblance of back and he looks good in a rehab outing or two. Um, you you kind of have to explore bringing him up sooner than September if, if he's warranting it, because you just don't have the, the pitching depth to survive you have the pitching depth to maybe survive June, but I don't think you're going to get through three, four months of the season. Um, or even if you're very, very optimistic about Hyunjin Ryu's ability to return uh, from Tommy John surgery on a, on a pretty quick timeline, even then, then you're talking, you got to get through two months still uh, without this. Uh, Rick and Aurora ha- has a long one about, um, you know, trying to, you know, what are you exactly trying to do with Manoa down there? Are you changing his pitch mix? Are you focusing on the pitch clock stuff? Um, and, and Rick says he doesn't think it's uh, about recreating what he's been doing. It's about learning how to, to pitch with the pitch clock. I've talked to, uh, to a lot of people about the pitch clock stuff recently and, um, you know, I know that Manoa's say conditioning or body type is something that people can point to um, as it's something that we can see, right? Like physically we can see it. Um, I, I think it's maybe a little overstated because of that, because it is something that we can, we reach out and point to. There are other pitchers around baseball built similarly to Manoa who have been able to, to manage through that. We'd all, we're also seeing disproportionately this impact Manoa early in games and particularly with leadoff hitters in innings. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, the, 
the new dynamic of what the tempo of a game looks like and things like that is a part of it. Um, especially, I, I think there's a, a non-physical component to it too, where if things aren't going well, you don't have as much time to kind of reset and think through your next move and kind of bring your, you know, your cortisol level down or whatever. I, I think there's an element of that, but I don't think that is that holds up exclusively as an explanation just because, you know, we'd see it with more than than just one person and we wouldn't see it disproportionately early in games and early in innings. Um, I'm sure they're looking under every stone, um, as they say right now. Uh, Mark in Baden, Ontario, has a, a suggestion that Manoa needs to ditch the colored glove and go with a plain black or brown glove because it, it worked for Kikuchi when he got rid of the awful yellow glove. Look, the other thing Kikuchi did was grow a beard. Maybe we just need to see beard Manoa and, and that'll fix it a little bit. Um, John in Muskoka asks, how far away is Chad Green? Uh, if the Jays are 500th, would I trade Matt Chapman at the deadline? Uh, those are two very unrelated questions, John. Uh, Chad Green, last we heard, is, you know, it, working through bullpen sessions and things like that. He didn't want to put a timeline on it. Uh, I believe it was when the Jays were in Tampa. Him and Ryu had kind of rejoined the team for bullpen sessions. There's not really a timeline. Green's a fascinating one because obviously more bullpen options are always a positive. And Chad Green for five of the last six years was one of the better um, leverage relievers in baseball. I do want to see how the velocity responds because it has been over a year since he's pitched now. Um, he had lost some velocity prior to the injury and that hadn't manifested in poor results yet. Uh, but some of his swing and miss stuff ha had decreased just a little bit before the injury. So he's a guy that I'll be you know, pretty curious to see where he's at uh, stuff wise once he comes back. But I don't think he's... Uh, He's imminently rejoining this team. Um, Graham in Toronto says uh, the Jays are fine. As long as Kikuchi doesn't fall off the planet. Look at what just happened to DeGrom. Do you think Texas will have a problem? Uh, well, first of all, yes, I think Texas will have a problem. Uh, they just lost their best pitcher for the remainder of the season. I think that that is a real thing when the American league is as good as it is. Uh, they have also been a very, very good offensive team. Uh, they, I don't, know that I believe they have the pitching depth to withstand that necessarily. Uh, they of course have a 362 ERA as a team. So, so far so good. Um, they also have names like Dane Dunning in, in their rotation and no disrespect to, to Dane Dunning, but when you don't strike out anyone, I'm a little skeptical that your sub three ERA is going to maintain. Uh, but look, Andrew Heaney has been a, a, a good bet. By them, it started off shaky, but that's come around. Uh, it turns out I was right about John Gray all along. He looks incredible, um, but you lose Jacob deGrom and you're going to have some issues. That's also a team that came into the season with six starting pitching options, not five. So having an extra guy in-house already uh, helps. And guess what? I, I think you're probably going to hear that the Texas Rangers are in the market for starting pitching ahead of the deadline if they're still that good. Um, the truth is, Graham, the last time a team went through the season with only five starting pitchers was 2003. The last time they did it with only six starting pitchers was the 2013 Tigers that had two Hall of Famers and another guy who won a Cy Young in the rotation and another guy in Anibal Sanchez who was like just an innings eater type. Um, those are outlier situations. Even if you're confident in the four guys the Jays will have, 
every time through the order, uh, you're not fine if you only have four pitchers and, and a bullpen day. You need to still uh, address this stuff. Brandon in London asks if there was uh, maybe a little too much pressure too soon on a young player with Alec Manoa pointing to, um, you know, the docuseries that he had and things like that. I, I can understand that. And, and I think that's certainly in the off season, those new expectations and the new levels you've reached have a, an impact. We talked about it all Raptor season with Scotty Barnes coming off of a rookie of the year season. One of the best and most exciting and over delivering rookie seasons we've seen in basketball. And there is a, you know, a change in, what your life is like and what your dynamic is like, and certainly a change in what happens when you struggle for the first time after that. Having said that, Alec Manoa had a lot of that stuff last year. Like he was really good in 2021 and the expectations were pretty high entering 2022 and he was in the all-star game and he got mic'd up and and all that stuff. Um, I think you would have seen some of that stuff last year as well, starting to creep in, especially around the all-star time. Um, I think it's something to consider because right now the Blue Jays have to consider everything that goes into a player's overall health and overall performance. So um, worth thinking about, but um, you know, it's uh, it's something that is a small factor. If if it's a factor, I think it's part of a, a bigger kind of suite of things going on there. Um, AJ from Brampton and then someone else who, who didn't sign there says, uh, am I surprised Bass didn't get designated for assignment? Uh, I thought Jackson would have stayed over him. And then the second comment being that uh, still waiting on Bass to be gone. Atkins has been silent. I believe Atkins is talking to media tomorrow. Uh, so I'd assume that reporters will ask a little bit more about what that process has been like, what the actual steps and resources the Jays have only vaguely referred to are. I also think there's probably a close eye on this heading into a pride weekend where so far the Jays have said, well, look at the rainbows. And it's like, well, what else are you doing? Who's involved? What communities are, are being involved in things like that? And there aren't answers to those questions. And I don't mean this from uh, asking John Schneider, or Ross Atkins perspective. Uh, I mean, I've been asking, uh, I would like to promote and discuss and, you know, reach out to those, those groups and, and have them be a part of the show this week and stuff like that. Um, but <laughs> there isn't a plan. So I, I think in addition to Atkins's comments uh, about Bass, when surely he'll be asked tomorrow, uh, kind of a uh, focus on what the team is actually doing over the course of their pride weekend this weekend beyond, you know, t-shirts and capes with, with rainbows on it. Um, because it is uh, a little deeper than that, especially coming off of uh, the Anthony Bass stuff. Now to answer the actual question though, the reason for that is that Jay Jackson has options. Uh, this is, uh, you know, the way these things get handled, they get handled from a on-field perspective first, uh, whether you like that or not. Um, and Anthony Bass would have to get DFA'd, whereas Jay Jackson can go down to the minors and they can call him back up as needed. Um, you generally aren't going to do the DFA route until you, your hand is forced, whether because the performance is so bad or you need the 40-man spot or something like that. Uh, so I wasn't entirely surprised, especially coming off a day in which Jay Jackson threw more pitches than he'd thrown since he was in Japan in 2018. Uh, so he was probably down for a couple of days Anyway, uh, there are a couple more texts in the text line. We'll, we'll try to sprinkle a couple of them in. Oh, one more from from Dennis or Denis in Burlington uh, about the rotation. Management should have worked harder to keep Mats and Stripling here years ago. To that, I would say, if you came into this season with Stephen Mats or Ross Stripling, where would they have fit in the rotation? There's no team out there that there are teams out there that have pitching depth because they have prospects on the way up, or you find a a Dane Dunning type who you know, can, can work out of the bullpen, but can come back into the starting rotation as you need. 
Steven Matz got, I mean, it's not a huge deal, $11 million a year, but his ERA has been north of five, almost as high as five and a half since he left Toronto. I, I don't think you should be pining over having lost uh, Steven Matz. The stripling one is a little more relevant because it, it's recent, but he's also a guy who had an ERA of seven before he went on the IL. He's getting you know, 25 million over two years. And that's money that they, you know, they chose to, to sign Chris Bassett over Ross Stripling. There's not really a team out there that has big money invested in five or six starting pitchers. Um, the depth component of this for almost every team in baseball comes from, do you have young guys on the way up who are ready to contribute when called upon? Um, there are very few, if any teams I can think of that spend eight figure salaries to get that pitching depth through SP six, SP seven, SP eight. Uh, that's just not how it is. And they, you know, they made the Matt's decision and that money went toward uh, a Jose Barrios extension. They made the Ray decision and that money went toward a Kevin Gosman contract. They made the stripling decision. And that money went toward a Chris Bassett contract. Um, they had, they are paying four of their starting pitchers, a lot of money. I don't think you can, uh, point to the the budget or, or you let this guy with a five and a half ERA or you let this guy who had a seven ERA and then went on the IL or, or you let this guy who has now undergone major reconstructive surgery and, and is out for a year plus. Um, those are not the things I would point to. I, I think it's a, it's an ability to identify and develop younger talent that, that can work as triple A depth as the Houston Astros have done as the Tampa Bay Rays have done. Uh, I think it's more of a find and develop question than it is a spend money question. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs, the creator and king of Zips, uh, joins us. We're going to go through some of the, the Toronto Blue Jays overperformers, underperformers, and try to figure out how the American League having so many really good teams and so many really bad teams affects how we're going to try to project this playoff race in the second half of the season. Dan Zaborski joins us next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan, and Sports at 360. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy, and I got that sneeze out that I was holding uh, at the end of that segment. It's hard to do a solo show and be in your outro and then have to uh, sneeze. Uh, I also I sneeze in um, bunches, which is really embarrassing and also makes it really hard to sneeze during the show because uh, it would be like a 20-second dead air thing. Uh, what I have to do is time it around asking guests questions. Uh Let's ask a guest some questions. We're joined now by Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs, creator and king of Zips. Uh, it was way, way back when you first created Zips, so far back that Yuri Perez wasn't born yet. Dan, what is the existential dread like when you now see Major League Baseball players come up who are younger than the projection system you have crafted? Oh, I have a lot of sources of ex existential dread in my life. Age of the Zips projection system, the, the uh, events in world history that are closer to the release of Nirvana's Nevermind than to today, <laughs> uh, which include things like the Cuban Missile Crisis. Wow. Uh, just to make people feel old. Uh, one thing I discovered in my 40s, along with things not 
things hurting when I wake up for no particular reason uh, is that you, you see a lot of these things and you see a lot of them in baseball too. When it's not just players you remember growing old, it's, it's, seeing children of players you remember being in the majors, uh, which is a frightening experience. Uh, I'm, I'm relieved that Ken Griffey Jr. doesn't have like a son who is a major leaguer because I saw, I remember Ken Griffey Sr. playing. I don't want to ever have to tell a player, or at least yet, oh, I remember your grandfather playing. <laughs> Well, yeah, this is, I'm looking at, you know, the draft is coming up in a couple of weeks and I see a name like Homer Bush Jr. I'm like, all right, all right, I'm getting to that age. And, and I'm watching the NBA finals right now. Kyle Lowry has been like my, because I, I've covered the Raptors for a long time. Uh, he's been my beacon of, I'm not that old yet because he's a couple weeks older than me. And as long as Kyle Lowry's in the league, I'm not older than everyone that I'm covering. And then like the narrative around him is like, oh, how did he get out of his wheelchair at 37 to have this finals <laughs> performance? Uh, it's tough. Uh, Dan, Zips is tremendous. We're at about the a little further than the one third of the way mark uh, of the season. I'm curious how you found navigating the American league this year, where it's just, it's so polarized where obviously the American league East is on pace to uh, have the best divisional record uh, of all time. And Sarah Langs, our friend at MLB.com has been tracking those numbers pretty closely. And then the AL West is pretty good too. And then Oakland and the AL central are just like embarrassingly bad when we have a league that's that polarized, the good teams are so good and the bad teams are so unspeakably bad. How does that alter our ability to project the American League forward? I think it really depends on which teams are the ones that are unspeakably bad and, and amazingly good. Uh, luckily, in this case, a lot of the it's it's not like in. It's more chaotic when, say, a, a team expected to be good really tags. I don't think anyone was expecting the A's to actually be good. Uh, but they've reached an entertaining level of, of, of bad play. Uh, the pitching staff is absolutely atrocious. Uh, so I've, I've already written, of course, uh, every writer and every projection person always roots for a team to be terrible. So they get a, essentially a free article to write about what the chances of the, of the team – catching the 62 bets is it's like yes free article <laughs> idea nice well i'm glad you uh i'm glad you get that uh it's a little more complicated here where the blue jays are in the mi the mess of uh i mean we're right back where we were last year where the yankees had kind of run away with the al east a little bit i i am curious in terms of the al east though the, the one thing that Fangraphs projection models and i know it's a little early to be looking at playoff odds and things like that um but there is still it seems a little bit of skepticism with the Baltimore Orioles and maybe they're, you know, at 37 and 23, maybe people aren't believing they're, they're that level, um, but their projected record the, the rest of the way is not even uh, 500. What is it in the Orioles profile that, that still gives a system like zips or, or projection systems in general, a little bit of pause? Well, Zips at least is a little more optimistic about the Orioles than the Fangraphs generalized model. Excellent. Uh, it still doesn't think the Orioles are as good. And I'm from Baltimore, so I'm certainly <laughs> rooting for Zips to be more optimistic at every opportunity. Uh, it, it's not anything specific about the Orioles, although when you talk about their projection, uh, there's generally a projection worry still about the pitching rotation because you look at some of the names uh, that you have a lot of, you know, pitch to contact pictures in an era where that's not great. Uh, 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 you see pictures like Tyler Wells. It's like, is he really going to finish the season as an ace? And projection systems are kind of eh, about that whole thing. Uh, but generally speaking, when you see projections that are slower to change, 
it's mostly uh, because of the way projections work. Uh, historically, if you go back, it's true for zips. It's true for the fan graph standings. It's it's true for steamer or baseball prospectus or any other uh, major projection system you look at, uh, that if you look at games through the start of June pre and, and try to predict the rest of the season from that point, the preseason projections, which have no knowledge of anything that's happened, what the roster looks like, are still significantly more accurate at predicting the rest of the season's winning percentage than the actual season to date is. Uh, it's just, there's a lot of recency bias when people consider teams. The Orioles are not probably not as good as they've played so far. The A's as lousy a team as they likely, they're not really a 206 winning percentage team. They're probably closer to a, a more run of the mill, boring 105 to 110 loss team. Uh, it's just very easy to to kind of cling on to things that happened recently. Uh, we've seen that with Cubs and people who are mad at me at projections mm. because in April, everyone was mad that Zips didn't adjust to how awesome the Cubs were. And then in May, I get lots of uh, Twitter direct messages about how awful Zips is to not adjust to how awful the Cubs are. And it's like, guys, guys, well, first I want to get those – that two sets of angry people to kind of talk to each other instead of me. <laughs> uh, but uh, the truth tends to be somewhere in the middle and projection systems work because they're good at that kind of thing, you know, crushing dreams, but, but lifting you up from, from, from the bottom. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, that's there, there's good and bad to that. So you mentioned, you know, this is how projection systems work. Um, you know, the, the weight of preseason projections and things like that, and the knowledge we had, you know, our priors, so to speak, in terms of how zips works, one of the things that we have access to now over the, the last couple of years is, is some of the stack cast data, which, you know, at the risk of, chopping things down even more and making a, a model more nebulous, you know, component results. So when I say component results, you know, like, oh, your batted ball results and things like that, your chase rate, stuff like that. Um, those normalize a little quicker than the actual outcomes uh, of your plate appearances. How has Zips been able to incorporate some of the newer stack cast data that, that we get with those component results? Uh, well, Zips uses uh, it, well, it has used plate discipline data for a long time, and it uses like the exit velocity data and the data from each hit baseball uh, to kind of do its own set of what I call Z stats, similar to Statcast X stats. Uh, although Zips, when it does things like, for instance, calculating a batting average on balls in play, there is a speed component which which Statcast does not use. There is a directional component, which is pretty important because there's. Uh, a huge change, obviously, in the uh, the batting average of a ground ball hit, whether it's hit right up the middle towards the second base or kind of in between. It's it's a huge delta when you're talking about the difference in batting averages. So Zips does take that into account. And it's not, of course, the only predictor because reality is also extremely useful. Uh, depending on the stat, Zips, when it does the projections in the the full model, uh, the most complex version that that takes a while to run on my computer, uh, Zips mixes in the the component estimate of the Z stat with the actual stat uh, for things like a hitter's home run rate. It it leans heavier on the component stat because it's more predictive, uh, but it, it it does help us shade projections in the correct direction uh, because what it comes down to is Statcast allows us 
to basically be a microscope of performance uh, because we're kind of like, like we know like, like a player hits a single, but what's more interesting than a player hitting single is how he hit the single, the reasons he hit the single. And we get to things like exit velocity and ball direction and on like an elemental level, just their judgment, how often they swing at good pitches, how long, how often they swing at bad pitches, how often they hit that exit velocity, long angle, sweet spot, all these things uh, become predictive more quickly than the traditional stats do, which helps us make more accurate projections quickly. Now, of course, projections are always going to be inaccurate, so I should hmm. say they help us make things less inaccurate than more accurate, just to be completely fair and honest. So I guess my question that flows from that, so you, you recently updated you know, these Z-score differences. Uh, so who are the biggest outliers in terms of underperformance and overperformance? And on the pitching side, almost without fail, and we can look on the hitting side, and we'll see this to to some extent too. There is a Blue Jay overperforming or underperforming at the very top of the list in just about every category. <laughs> Why is it the Jays in particular? This is like the bane of my stats brain existence is that the Jays consistently this year have been the under or overperformers to a dramatic degree. Perhaps nobody more uh, notable for that than Alec Manoa's start this year. Yeah. Uh, now, Ziff's doesn't think that Alec Manoa has been good uh, by uh, any stretch of the imagination. But he, if you look at some of his, his data for his walk rate, he's not missing as badly and, and, and hitters aren't successful as, to the degree that you expect a walk increase as significant as he has he shown this year. Uh, that That's the thing. The, the best players in the league are good, but also probably lucky. And the worst players in the league tend to be terrible and unlucky because <laughs> the terrible lucky players tend to be better than the terrible unlucky players. It's just how, how that bias kind of works. Uh, now, Manoa, I mean, he's had his projection still – really plummet this year because it is a huge increase in the walk rate. Whether you look at the actual walk rate or the component walk rate, uh, hopefully he'll pull a Roy Halliday and, hmm. and fix that because Halliday certainly did. Uh, and there's certainly time for that. Uh, but it's, it's, it's been a really rough season for him. Uh, so it's, it's in, in a sense, the, the blue Jays are fortunate to still be, you know, so competitive, lo essentially losing a top picture. Uh, Jose Barrios's revival has, has helped that considerably. It certainly has. And, you know, there are some other guys who are starting to heat up on the hitter side. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. constantly uh, among those gap guys in terms of expected versus actual with, with the batted ball. Um, I wanted to ask you about one more quickly before we let you go. Um, Alejandro Kirk, you wrote about his struggles May 24th. Uh, he is still seventh percentile in average exit velocity, bottom 10 in launch angle, top 10 in topped contact. Um, what have you seen from Kirk over the two weeks or so since, since you put that article out? I, I think he showed some signs of 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 coming out of that. Let's just call it a funk, and not the good, you know, uh, Parliament funkadelic type of funk. Uh, but I mean, there's there's still a lot of work to do. Uh, I'm not a, unfortunately. I'm 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 good at identifying the problem. <laughs> I'm not necessarily a hitting coach, uh, but you you look at his his hit profile, and he still tops a lot of pitches. Uh, and the thing is, he's not a quick player. You can you can top a lot of things if you can run like Ichiro Suzuki or Willie Mays Hayes. It's a little harder to do when you're uh, you know a big dude. I'm a big dude too. <laughs> I don't run very fast. 
if I if I was playing some beer league softball, I need to hit things in the air because I'm not legging out anything ever. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good strategy there. Uh, Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs, uh, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning, man. I really appreciate it. Always fun. Thanks for having me. Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs, creator of the Zips projection system. Uh, a lot of great work from him and everyone over at Fangraphs. Um, so thanks to Dan for coming on. Shai Davidi, Vanessa Richardson, Julia Kreutz, all for coming on. Another loaded show from producer Jeff Azapardi. And thanks to Lance Kennedy and Jennifer Rolnick behind the glass. And I think Alain is back there somewhere uh, as well. So thank you to him for helping out. It's Renel Blanco against Chris Bassett tonight. Uh, Chris Bassett, obviously with a, a very emotional and dramatic uh, appearance last time through rain delays, through his wife being in labor to give seven plus innings of shutout ball. He is uh, another guy who, based on Dan's component stats, you could suggest should be a little bit better from here, at least in terms of walk rate. Um, there are some minor flags in his profile and those cropped up in the two starts prior to his last one. Uh, but Bassett has been more or less everything you could hope for and more. I'll have a little bit more on Renel Blanco on Blue Jays Central pregame on TV. Blair and Barker will also be setting you up from five to seven uh, as they always do. Jay's talk will follow that post game. We'll be back here 10 a.m. tomorrow for Jay's Talk Plus. Um, the Jeff Merrick Show comes next, though. We have a Stanley Cup final that's 2 nothing. We also have a Vegas Golden Knight who's got uh, Alexis on fire tattoos, which I uh, I may be guilty of as well. So hoping for a, a Nuggets sweep, we can get him, or a Golden Knight sweep, rather. Uh, we can get him to that Alexis on fire show next Friday at Bud Stage. We'll get him on here. We'll talk some music with him. Um, the hockey shows don't need the hockey guests. We will do some, some music talk. Uh, here. So Jeff Merrick show next Blair and Barker five to seven Jay's talk plus returns 10 a.m. Tomorrow, Renal Blanco, Chris Bassett tonight. Enjoy it. We'll talk to you tomorrow guys.